The Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick. Each week, we take a look at different facets of how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, Celine? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. Good. Glad to be back home. I bet. You've been, you've been gone a few days. Yeah, yeah. The big thing for me, I mean, I always like traveling. I like going to different events. Uh, so yeah, I was at Crank Tank in Ketchum, Idaho. Uh, Ketchum is at almost 6,000 feet of elevation, and all our rides took us above that elevation. Uh, and the the altitude gets to me more than it used to when I was younger. Um, you know, and so like, I wasn't sleeping well. So mm-hmm. to sleep in my own bed last night, Oh, best thing ever. I bet. It's dehydrating too, right? I mean, I noticed that immediately. I get disrupted sleep and a lot of dehydration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, wake up with the inside of my mouth drier than some deserts. Yep. Um, yeah, so. Um, well, let's just jump on in. Sure. So, yeah, uh, the reason we're recording a day late and releasing this a day late is because I just got back from Ketchum. Um, so... There's this new press event called Frank, Crank Tank, um, and we rode mountain bikes, e-mountain bikes, and even an e-road bike. However, the e-road bike is still under embargo for a few more days, so that's about all I will say about it for now. Um, however, once the embargo is lifted, I will say more about it because it was pretty interesting. Um, I, I will even offer that it was the first time I found an e-road bike interesting. Hmm. Uh, before now it's been like, well, oh, okay. I, you know, I get it. There's, there's going to be a market, but this one, it's like, oh, this thing's going to have appeal. Interesting. You know, up, up until now, I'll say that, you know, it, it's that classic adage of any bike is better than no bike. And that's kind of how the first e-road bikes fit for me. Um, you know, uh, it's like, well, it, you know, this is a great alternative to, to somebody not being able to ride. Right. Um, what I just saw is more interesting than that. But, oh, good grief. Here we are talking about something I can't talk about, basically because I can't say who the brand is. <laughs> I can guess, but I won't guess. So, uh, And you'd almost certainly get it wrong. It's the really, it's the really amazing part. Yeah, that's oh. the coolest part of all. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so... You know, obviously, we don't have time enough to talk about all the different brands I saw. I do want to hit a few in particular. So Wadi Inc., which is owned by uh, a former teammate of mine um, and a guy I actually tried to get hired at a magazine I once worked at, uh, Sean Watkins. Uh, He was a U.S. national team rider on the track. Super strong guy. He got into the triathlon world selling, uh, selling advertising for triathlon magazine, triathlete magazine rather, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, really built a name for himself in the indus- in the triathlon industry. 
launched his own line of apparel, which is made by LEL down in San Diego. And uh, recently, though, he took kind of an unusual turn and sponsored a gravel team. And so now Wadi Inc. is now pushing more into the road market, you know, with standard jerseys and bibs, that sort of thing. Uh, and so it wasn't much of a stretch for them to say, hey, we've got a kit from Wadi Inc. for you to try. Hmm. Um you know, I've been wearing LEL kits for a couple of seasons now, and I love their stuff. So it's like, oh, well, okay, different graphic designer. <laughs> Fine, sign me up. Right. It's really great quality stuff. Of course, I should probably also mention that LEL is a sponsor of the Pace line. Um, but yeah, the Wadi Ink stuff is made to the very same standards as the LEL kits. You know, super nice quality uh, pads. Um, the jerseys are really well cut, um, and they look even better on me when I'm thinner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was one of the things, um, you know, there's a lot of activity on the sock front of late. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I see all these new brands of socks coming out and certainly there are a lot of neat designs and I wish them all well and I want them to see success, but it's a glutted market, and I'd hate to have to try to make a name for myself. Mm -hmm. However, Swiftwick uh, certainly has done that. They're getting attention, and I think it's in large part due to the quality of the sock rather than, you know, some cool pattern or something. Right. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, American-made versus overseas-made stuff. You know, we've got a trade war going uh, prices are rising and all sorts of stuff. And so it's kind of neat to see a presentation from somebody who, you know, is based in Nashville. Yeah. They make their socks in Nashville. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't have any need to go, you know, rah, rah, America buy American, but it is nice to know there are times when your dollars are staying domestically. Um, and for people who really care about that stuff, you know, this is, this is a, a pretty great thing. Um, and they've got a lot of technology, you know, they're doing some very sophisticated, uh, weaves with their, uh, or knits, uh, with their machines, some six needle stuff, um, and wore a couple of new pairs of socks from them while I was there. And they will be going in the wash later today. <laughs> very nice. I really liked that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also on the apparel front, uh, the Canadian brand, uh, Seven Mesh out of Swamish. Um, that's British Columbia. They were founded by two former Arcteryx people, uh, the former CEO of Arcteryx and the head of design. Uh, so that's a good place to start. Um, they walked us through some of their apparel and, you know, it's one of those things where I look at their stuff and it seems like they're using a lot of materials I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the look of the stuff is, is nice enough, sort of understated, but when I put it on, it's like, what is it they're doing there? You know, and it's a real sophistication to the patterning that they do. And they don't just use a fit model, you know, one person, they're really trying to make sure that their stuff is adaptable so that, you know, if you've got somebody who's, uh, who's a small and is five, seven, but it will also fit, you know, a small who's five nine. Right. It isn't, you know, super, uh, super isolated to a particular size. Um, 
And they're really using, uh, you know, materials in an interesting way and going for um, different material content. You know, one of the things that they talked about was how elastane or lycra will soak up a lot of water. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's hydrophilic. Uh, and that naturally is a comfort killer. It, you know, it makes it harder for uh, water to be wicked away from your body and, you know, ela- um, evaporate through the clothing. Um, and so... Instead, what they're doing with a lot of their pieces is to use different patterning to take advantage of a material's natural stretch rather than relying on, you know, elastane or lycra to give it some stretch. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm really finding these guys more and more interesting the more I learn about them. Um, I have a suspicion there will be uh, an interview coming up. <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed the time with them. Uh, another one, Rudy Project. You know, mm. this is a brand that used to be super popular with the road crowd. Used to love um, them. Yeah, but then they kind of dropped off the face of the earth. It's yeah. like I wasn't even seeing their stuff except for the Pro Peloton. Um, we had both road and mountain helmets from them uh, at the event that I wore. And they were both the most comfortable helmets from that brand I'd ever worn. And I would put them up against, especially the mountain helmet, I'd put it up against a lot of current uh, efforts out there. Hmm. It was very well made, um, wasn't heavy, uh, you know, had a good visor on it, just, you know, sat well on my head um, and sits higher than some other brands so that it wasn't banging into my glasses as I, as right. I hit rocks and whatnot. That will drive me crazy. Uh, the funny thing is, what I loved best about uh, the Rudy Project stuff that we encountered was that they have uh, some new glasses called the, the Trailix SX, which feature photochromic lenses. Um, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. I do a lot of rides, especially gravel and mountain bike rides, where I go from bright sunlight, being out in a meadow or something, and then diving into the trees and, you know, it, it's effectively going from F2.8 to F22. And it's like, oh, my gosh, who turned out the lights? Right. Um, and so having a photochromic lens that changes, uh, has a broad range and changes quickly is really important for me. And I love the way these things feel on my head. So uh, new fave, Trailix SX from Rudy Project. Cool. Now, uh, Specialized was there with some of their mountain bikes. I got to ride the new Stump Jumper, as well as an EMTB from them called the Levo. <sighs> yeah, uh, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> um, yeah, so can of worms. We, I think commence opening. Yeah, I, is that two cans or three? I um, say large can yeah. of worms. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, people do have strong opinions about e-mountain bikes and access, and. You know, I don't really want to go into that right here. Yeah, that's um, another show. I, I, I agree with the concerns about access. I, I agree that it is an issue and it should be dealt with. Um, I, I don't have the hate for e-mountain e- bikes that some people do. Um, and part of it is like, well, what happened just the other day? They took us up to the spot where we were able to ride uh, some OHV trails mm-hmm. uh, on BLM land. And so we weren't breaking any rules. You know, we weren't breaking the law to do this thing. Can you decode Um, that for people who might not know? So, I mean, well, obviously, you know, most of the places you go, 
it's illegal to ride any mountain bike uh, on single track trails. Um, about your only opportunity currently um, with the, I mean, here in California, there are regional parks where you can go and it's perfectly okay. But state parks, certainly in California, and I think most states, absolutely banned. Uh, BLM land, by and large, it's illegal, but yep. anywhere where they allow OHV access, well, um, because they allow any sort of motor, then you can ride an e-mountain bike there. Right. Um, so it's uh, it's a way to deal with it. And one of the neat things is the trails, uh, at least in that part of Idaho, are super well-maintained. If they hadn't told me it was an OHV trail, I would never have guessed. Hmm. I, it wasn't blown out and right. breaking bumps and, you know... Uh, so I was, I was super impressed with the quality of the terrain we were on, but you know, we were up above 6,000 feet of elevation and climbed at least another thousand feet above whatever we started at. I, there are so many steep pitches that we hit that I would clearly have been walking the bike and just rode it through nice and easy peasy. Um, there were a couple of really steep pitches where I did bump it up to the turbo mode, uh, to make sure that I could get up it. Uh, but I know that if I'd been on a stump jumper instead, you know, I'd been all, I'd, I'd have been off the bike and walking up and taking three steps and huffing and puffing and taking three more steps. This was uh, a much more enjoyable experience. Um, did you feel like you were working? Oh yeah. I, you know, and that was one of the funny things when we all got back to the trucks at the end of the ride, we looked around at each other. It was like, yeah, we've been for a bike ride. Yeah. We're not hammered. Um, you know, nobody was destroyed, but, you know, we all felt like we'd been out for a bike ride and we'd had a good time. Cool. Um, yeah. And so one of the guys involved in putting on the event, uh, Adrian Montgomery, talked about how he's been riding one. And because he's got three little kids, you know, his windows of time to get away from the family and ride are, shall we say, narrow. Um and he wants to get in as much ride as possible. Mm-hmm. So he gets on an e-mountain bike and in 90 min- minutes, he can knock out a ride that would take him, you know, more than two hours to do otherwise. Yeah, uh, and sure. so he's still getting getting the opportunity to do a lot of rides that he likes, uh, which, you know, that was something I really hadn't considered before, which is pretty neat. But, OK, you know, enough on that one. Back back to the stump jumper. I've heard um, nothing but good things. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the only thing I think anybody can say against it is for those who hate the Specialized brand, well, there you go. It's from Specialized. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this thing is easily the best mountain bike from Specialized I have ever ridden. That's saying and something. Let's, let's unpack that. I mean, you know, first production mountain bike, you know, um, one of the winningest cross-country bikes ever. Um, and you know, when you think about big advances in suspension, they've, you know, they haven't always been the the first act in something, but they have generally been one of the benchmarks that people, uh, build to, you know, I mean, this thing pedaled super well, it was supple over little bumps and it could soak up the big stuff. I mean, it felt like I was on a downhill bike on a cross country course. Hmm. It flat out blew me away. So here's the question that's on my mind or, or the issue. Mm-hmm. In our disposable culture, 
you know, manufacturers are constantly trying to one-up themselves. You know, I don't know. How many, how many iterations of the iPhone have there been? A dozen? You know, I know people who will stand in line to get the newest version of Apple's world-changing phone. But, you know, working in the bike industry, I don't see the same sort of level of trust for brands. I'm constantly encountering riders who aren't always convinced that the new bike from some manufacturer is really that much better than the old one or that the new component group from, say, Shimano or SRAM is that much improved over the one they've got. So the question I want to put to you, Celine, is how often do you encounter a bike that is so clearly superior to what you've been riding that you're left with the impression that it has just reset your expectations of what a good bike should be in that category? Hmm. That's a super interesting question. And I think that like the tech that you're talking about, that, that, you know, sure, every year something kind of new comes out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a little bit better or maybe measurably better, a little bit different. But then like every, let's say, third year, something comes out that you're like, oh, that's a game changer, <laughs> right? And I and I yeah. think that in the bike industry, that's kind of they ride a little bit of the same wave, you know. Like if you look at mountain bikes, I think the the obvious game changers will be suspension platforms, you know, that you know, how someone, you know, new shock technology, new suspension platforms that radically changes your expectation of a ride, uh, almost always. Yep. Um, wheel size has been a huge thing, right? In mountain yeah. bikes, I mean, we're still talking about it. Like, everybody thought, yeah. oh, it's going to be 27.5, and that's it, end of story. And then it's like, well, maybe 29ers weren't so bad, right? And and <laughs> it, it's starting yeah. to go pivot back that way. So I think that, you know, in that way, I, I'd say maybe every three years, I would say that, okay, my expectations are now changed based on some change like that. Road bikes, less so, just because they're road bikes, mm. right? I mean, you know, materials improve and you tweak geometry, but there's so many good road bikes. It's so hard to say this year's whatever. It, mm-hmm. It's just not going to be head and shoulders. And I, I have the feeling that people hang on to road bikes a little longer. So it's just like when they're ready for the next thing, they've got this whole plethora of amazing bikes to choose from whenever they step into the pool uh, of new yep. bikes. Uh, the the one that I would want to mention that actually did recently make me go, my expectations have changed, is uh, when I got on that Open Upper, which is yeah. the gravel bike from the company Open. It's more of a yep. road platform gravel bike, and it really did change my expectations of what a gravel bike could be because it was hmm. it was just everything that I wanted on every level. And if, and, and if I can go one level deeper, it kind of changed my expectation of what a bike is. Because, like, I think for so long we got, we got so, and at least working at Bicycling, I know that we were guilty of this. I think a lot of the industry was. Everything followed racing, right? I mean, everything was about racing for a long time. So you get yep. these people who are on these race bikes that are, like, nervous handling machines and it's just not even a good experience if you're not racing and honestly like for a lot of those racers they wouldn't want to ride them for fun either you know because they're built for one thing to go super fast um but now i think there's a great wonderful incredible trend of bikes going to being like these 
just these wonderful tools and and playthings where you like and and utilitarian all at the same time like and that's how the open is i'm just as happy on that bike on the road as i am on some blown out ox cart path i can put six bottles on it i can put one bottle on it it's it's nimble and stable and it's all these things that like would i race a crit on it no but some who's raced you know a lot of people that's a narrow definition um and i just did a test of an rei bike which I'm so happy this bike exists. I just rode it up for bicycling. It's like a $1,200 bike. And it's it's just the kind of bike that you would just want to go out and ride all day. It's stable. It's comfortable. It's affordable. It's nice to look at. And I think that I'm, I think that there's a really great trend going on right now in cycling that is changing all expectations of what a bike is or should be yeah. to you. I don't yeah. know if that's what I, you're looking I, for. I totally a little deep agree. dive, but I think I, and I've been paying a lot of attention to it, and it's it's a great trend. I think it's a great trend. Yeah, I absolutely welcome it. You know, and it fits nicely with this notion of kind of no more heroes, uh, people not constantly looking to racing for every source of inspiration. Um, right. And so, yeah, I mean, seeing the the trend to go away from having all kits look like some sort of uh, two-bit billboard. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I like 7 Mesh. The stuff is stylish and yet not so plain as to make me miss, you know, a club kit. Right. But I really don't want to be out there with a billion sponsors on me anymore. That look just doesn't, it lost its appeal. So like I'm, a mop, I'm hey? with you that way. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Very, Very cool. Thanks. Yeah. All righty. Well, on to your poll. What do you got? I've got, I've been thinking, um, especially now that like in real life, you know, road racing is in full effect. We've got the tour coming up, you know, people, all my friends are out racing all the time. And in this under level world that is sort of bubbling up to the reality surface, there's this virtual racing going on. And I don't know, are you familiar with virtual racing? Do you know what I'm talking about when I even say that? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Uh, I actually have a friend here uh, who I train with some who, you know, traveled down to Long Beach for the, the big race that Zwift put on. Um, really? So, and sh- yeah, she she made it, you know, to some finals level and, you know, stood on a podium. Uh, so, I yeah, I have been aware that this stuff is going on. Um, and I've been aware that, like, some people are getting really fit doing this stuff. Uh, which doesn't, you know, the getting fit part doesn't surprise me at all. But once I started to hear that there was prize money, mm-hmm. uh, that it was be- that it was more than just some, you know, uh, uh, forty kilobyte badge that appeared on your your Swift account. Uh, that's when I really started to pay atten- a little more attention. Yep. You know, and and give it some respect. Holy cow. Well, it's it's gotten to a whole, and that's that's sort of my pull here. So I've been fascinated with to- this topic since I started covering it with bicycling. Um, you know, it started as you mentioned with Zwift, right? And mm-hmm. if for people who are not aware, what Zwift is, it's it's a virtual gaming training application where you you know you you create an avatar that looks kind of like you, and you're on a screen, and there's this make believe world called Watopia. And you use a smart trainer and you ride around this island that has all these features. It's got a volcano. It's got a big climb. It's got 
things you can unlock the more you use it. So if you ride enough, you yeah. can enter the Mayan jungle, or you can go up the new alpine climb, or you can ride the world's course. So, you know, it's been super popular, and you can go on there, and Jens Void is on there, and people all over the world. And Zwift started having their, <laughs> their own races, and they have Zada, which is the Zwift Anti-Doping Association. I mean, agency, they have... it's. Zwift racing is a thing. Well, now this yeah. new company has come in, and it's Cyclogent Physical Esports. And what they have started doing is using Watopia as their race course, but they're their own thing. So they have a World Cup series, all their own, um, where you have to do a series of races through them, and then you can qualify for like world championships. And then when you go to the World Championships, they have you go to an arena. They they've had them in Paris and London and all these different places. Um, you actually take your bike and your trainer and you go to an arena on it. And then they have a big screen where you watch the virtual race happening with color commentators, and they're all racing there. And people, <laughs> it's amazing. I tuned in. It's crazy. And you can so the craziest part is yet to come. So. They're, you know, they're in this place, they're in this arena, people can tune in, you know, you can tune into your computer, you can sit there and watch it happening live as it's happening in LA. But the, mm -hmm. the craziest part of this to me is, like last April, the CVR World Cup finals were held in Los Angeles. And for the women's race, there were 10 finalists, and they were all inside the StubHub Velosport Center in LA. And they were okay. you know, battling out in Watopia's course. And the winner of the women's race was this woman named uh, Carrie Conabare. She was a 42-year-old professional gardener from the UK. And she won $7,800. Holy cow. Yep. That was, that was the prize, Patrick. For the I'm not sure race. what I'm more impressed with. The fact that she's a professional gardener <laughs> or the fact that she got almost $8,000. Well, so, I, so hang tight. So I, I, okay. I looked, I did a little research because I, I, my mind was blown. And so the same week that this World Cup thing in L.A. with these women racing around Watopia is happening, yep. the Women's Tour of Flanders was happening that I also Ooh. watched. 140 uh -huh. women racing 93 miles in real life. You know, wet roads, it rained, treacherous, right, right. Flemish countryside, crashes happening. And do you know what uh, Anna van der Bergen, the 27-year-old Dutch woman, made? Take a guess. Uh, I don't know. 20000 25000 <laughs> Euro. $1,415. Euro. $1,415. $1, yes, a I recreational a gardener won five times the prize money of a pro woman in a grueling world, real world, world tour race. And like, in fact, I did the math. She won more than the combined women's purse of Flanders. Oh, so this, oh. yeah. And this past weekend, they just had their, the CVR league just had their spring race. It was in Vancouver, I believe. And both the men and the women's winners took home $10,000 a piece. So my reaction is just like yours. I'm like, what is going on? And where is this money coming from? So I sat down with Hunter Allen, who listeners may know as the power training guy, right? He's training peaks. Yeah. He started training peaks. He's 
a lot behind this. He offers training programs. If you would like to be part of the series, you can get a training plan and hop on in. Um, and he also does color commentary during the event. So I sat down with him for about 10 minutes or so just to be like, okay, Hunter, what is up? So we can, uh, you, can, you can hear it in his own words. Okay, I am here with Hunter Allen. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Hunter. Hey, glad to be here, Celine. Okay, so for the uninitiated, could you explain to people what CVR Racing, this Cyclegent Virtual Racing Series, is all about? Yeah, no, it's uh, so it's a it's a it's a way to race inside Zwift, inside a virtual world, and uh, what it is is there there are basically two different paths to this, and. And they culminate, those paths culminate in these live events. So uh, this year there has been an event in L.A. at the L.A. Velodrome. Uh, just this past weekend there was one in the Vancouver Velodrome uh, in Canada. And, and so there will be another one in the fall and then also another one in the winter. So what happens is, is the best riders through the season. So we had a winter season, a spring season, summer season, fall season – then get invited to the live events. And in the live events, they actually win like a lot of money. <laughs> the, the, uh, the first place prize for women's and for the, for the men in Vancouver was $10,166. Um, that I mean, is for, astronomical. Like, let's, let's pause yeah. a second there. Um, because I wrote about this last year because a woman won $7,500 and she was a woman who liked to garden from the UK, right? Like I, I was just like, okay, because the woman who won the tour of Flanders won like a thousand dollars or something. I mean, it was just some, ass, it was, right. the difference was unbelievable. So where are these riders coming from? Are they, are they all, Zwift? Are they entering this league? Are they just registering this? Any can anybody jump into this thing? Like, how? Where are you finding them? Are they all through Zwift? Right. Yeah. I mean, basically anybody can join this thing, and that's what's incredible is that you know you've got uh, professional women who are, are jumping in. You've got forty-two-year-old gardeners who are jumping in. You've got anybody and everybody can can jump in on this. And then they have to accumulate points. You know, they have to they have to take part, right? That's the commitment is is like, okay, I'm going to ride in these CVR um, races in, uh, in in training rides mm -hmm. uh, in, and, and and throughout the eight weeks or twelve weeks or which however long the season goes, accumulate points. And are so, those all Zwift races? Are they all inside? On they are. Okay. Yeah, they're all inside Zwift, so everybody is 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 a part of that and and riding indoors. Um, and it's one of those things. It's like, well, you know, uh, we we had a there's a professional rider uh, Esther Esther Meisels. Uh, oh, I know. She her. won like, yeah, she won like the best young rider at Tour at Redlands this past spring. You know, and um, so I mean, you know, she's a great racer. And, uh, you know, she's, she's, she, you know, we were at dinner after the race and, and, um, the world cup in LA 
And she, you know, and, and Frank Garcia, the CEO of Cyclogent was like, Hey, you're coming to the, you know, the spring one, right? You're going to do the spring season, right? And she's like, Oh, I don't know. I've got all these pro races that I have to do, blah, blah. I'm going to do this, et cetera. And he's like, how much do you win in a pro women's race? If you like win a big pro women's race. And she's like, well, maybe a thousand dollars or maybe $500. And then he's like, um, you do realize you just won $3,000 in this race. Um, and the light bulb kind of went on for her and was like, Oh wow. Like, wow. And he's like, yeah, really soon you're going to be more concerned about how you know, your pro races are messing up your CVR season uh, because you're going to win more money, you know, racing in a virtual world than you will in the real life. And, and sure enough, after, you know, committed to being a part of the spring season, went to all the events, got all the points and, you know, and, and, and she was right there in the top five and did really, really well in the, um, in the, in the finals. So I mean that's uh, that's that's pretty pretty incredible. So where is this money coming from? Is is this all being bankrolled right now by Cyclogen Physical Esports? Yes. So right now, Cyclogen Physical Esports is bankrolling this money uh, and and making all these prizes happen. Um, and but obviously there is you know a a way to monetize this behind the scenes. And there's a cup. There's two different ways, and I talked about, and there, and you know, there's two paths, mm-hmm. right? So one path is league. So you go through the league, and then you you rent, you kind of bracket yourself up, or you get more and more points. In the league, you're going to compete against the best riders, right? The very best, and, and and so that's not really obtainable for the normal person, right? Now the other path is through what we call the training path, and the training path is where the athlete does um, eight weeks or 12 weeks of training. They have, they get a training plan and uh, for $79, they get a training plan. And then they have every day a workout that they do inside is with, they have to upload their data. You get points when you upload your data. Uh, uh, then they have a, a group ride, a weekly group ride. You get points when you get it, when you do the weekly group ride and then they have races that they have to compete in like practice training races. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they then they and based on their improvement from the beginning of the training to the end, they also get points. So there's lots of ways that you can get points in the training path. The training path is really the way for normal folks. Okay, hey, you know, gosh, I'm 45 years old and I've got three kids and I'm working 45 hours a week and I only have eight hours a week to tra- to, to 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 train. Well, it you could come. <laughs> Yeah. And so because then what happens at the end of that that uh, eight weeks or 12 weeks, then you're put in a certain category uh, when we base that on your watts per kilogram range and um, the power profile um, from from our from my book, Training and Racing, the power meter book. Uh, and then we put the, that that a certain category out of the hat. And like we did it in L.A. and it was the good category. So the riders who are, who are between a certain power to weight ratio in the so good category. They could category, be like cat threes, maybe. Yeah. Well, these guys were like more like cat fives. Okay. Um, okay. Got it. You know, and, and they all came and it was like, you know, I mean, 
they were the ones who won the money. You know, they all competed. And it was really like, you know, wow, they were racing other riders who were also category five riders. Um, a couple people didn't race ever, hadn't raced, but they were just strong recreational cyclists. Uh, they only raced inside Zwift. Mm-hmm. And they competed big money, you know. It was like, man, they they, they were there. It was it was pretty sweet. So this is this is a whole other thing because, you know, there's the whole for people who are not involved in Zwift at all that this sounds all foreign but Zwift racing in general is something that is has taken on almost a its own population right like there there's a lot of people to my knowledge who only race on Zwift right right because for many reasons you know I've talked to a woman who was you know she's got a couple kids and she can't really get out and she can actually train and race with her children in the house um and compete in these things. So it's, it's a whole other avenue to, I guess, being a competitive cyclist that is fascinating to me. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, that's what, um, you know, I think that Salim, I mean, you, you hit, you know, one of the big groups that are, are coming to these events are, are people who, uh, maybe, you know, don't necessarily can't get out or can't get to races or um, maybe they live in big cities. There aren't isn't a great place to train and practice outdoors. So they're riding indoors a lot more. Um, and they still have that competitive urge, that competitive nature that they really want to compete and race. Uh, and, and they're not able to really scratch that itch. And, and it's like, well, Zwift is, is, is uh, the place to do it. And CVR is essentially the, the company. I mean, you think of it this way. It's like, well, CVR, Cyclogen Virtual Racing, they're the race promoters, right? Zwift mm-hmm. is just the, is right. just the course, it's right? The course, it's yeah. just the course. I mean, Zwift yeah, has its, its own races too, but this is like a, a, another league. It's like another layer, if you will, right? Using the course to hold their own because you don't make really, you can win some in real life prizes at some of these Zwift events, like the SRAM women's race. I think they won some wheels, but this is a whole different thing. This is like an umbrella promoter putting on races around the volcano, like right around the Zwift Island. Yep, exactly. exactly. And, and it's nuts. People tune in and watch, right? Like, cause I watched some of this and it was oddly captivating. Like it was, you watch and there are people, <laughs> There are people, I thought I'm not going to watch a minute of this, and I sat there, and it was just on the screen, and I had, and then I'm, and then I'm riveted because like, I have to know what's going to happen. But you're you're watching people on their trainers in like an arena with color commentary going on. I think you were part of that, and so they're just sweating buckets in place. But you're watching their avatars, right, moving around yeah. the island, yeah. and it was um, it was really bizarrely captivating to watch. You wouldn't think you would be so interested in watching virtual racing, but it was it was captivating. Right, exactly, and and so that kind of brings the the other revenue stream in, right? Is is so you've got this one way to to that this is being funded by the people who take part in the training, and then then you've got advertising. So you know it's like, gosh, you know if if a hundred thousand people watch this which is basically when uh, the, the L.A. one happened, it was over, there were over 100,000 views of the, of the L.A. winter finals. 
And it was like, wow. I mean, when was the last time you went to a bike race that had 100,000 people at? Well, okay, Tour de France, uh, one of the yeah. classics, something. I mean, that, I don't even know if that, you know, I mean, probably Tour of California, Tour of Colorado here in the U.S., that rivals that number of viewers. Um, that's huge. And then it's all happening. You can just, like you said, you just watch it on your computer screen. And the next thing you know, it's going to be, there's going to be some big sponsors who are advertising and, and being a part of this. Okay. Um, wow. It is a, it is a brave new world. It is a fascinating one. I'm, I'm, I'm just watching this going, I don't even know. <laughs> I honestly don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what is next for this uh what's the next event what's the next is there another season coming up is the season done now with the vancouver race that just happened yep that was the finish of the season so um then uh what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a fall season uh and then a, another winter season so uh look for for details on the cvrworldcup.com page uh and then uh it's you know, that's going to be the place to sign up, whether you choose the training or the league. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this thing is just going to continue to grow. It's only getting bigger and better. Uh, and, and Frank Garcia, the, the CEO, loves taking it to really neat locations. And, uh, you know, we were in Paris last September and, you know, it was L.A. and Vancouver. Uh, I don't even I haven't even heard where it's going to be the next one, uh, but I'm sure it's going to be some some cool place. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, it should be really exciting. How many members are you up to now? So there were, um, about 2000 people that took play, took part in the, uh, this past one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there were about the same or a little bit more than that for the winter one. So, uh, that's, uh, that's getting there. Cool. Well, thank you for, uh, taking some time to, to talk about this extremely fascinating world of virtual racing with us. And um, I will definitely keep my eye on, uh, on what's going on on Watopia Island out there. All right. Well, we're going to have to get you in here, Celine. You got to get in the next one so you can get to the live event and win these big bucks. I, you, you might, I might, ha I might have to dip my toe in this just to see what it's all about. You kind of have to do it. You're going to, you're going to have to love it. You're such a great competitor. You'll do super well. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Hunter. It's been a super pleasure talking to you. All right. Thanks. Anytime. Glad to, glad to talk to you, too. Okay. So it's really mind-blowing to me. When Hunter was talking about there will be people who will not race in real life because they don't want to hurt themselves, should they risk not being able to compete for these giant virtual race prizes... <laughs> yeah. I, I just wasn't even really sure what to think, you know, and, you know, Hunter and Frank Garcia, the founder of this league, are clearly banking on this, like literally with their pocketbooks, right? Like they're banking mm -hmm. on this thing, taking off and, and paying for itself in some respect. And right now those purses are bananas and there's no weather and you don't crash and you can do it in your living room. But man... I don't know what I think about this brave new world. And I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts. I mean, do you see this usurping like real life racing or is it this just something that will always just dwell on the sides and the purses will go down or I'm not sure what to think. I, well, okay. Here's the thing. The fact that they've got purses like this already 
And and hey, let's stop and say, wow, equal purses. You know, yes. rah rah. Yes. I yes. mean, let's, holy hell. We should say that. It's, yes. You know, um, I, you know, and of course, you but know. But there are more women that race virtually. Like those Swift races, Patrick, they'll get a thousand women for a virtual stage and race. How big are the men's fields? Comparable. But the but the women are, I mean, they'll get, you know, I mean, wow. they're, 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 they're bigger, but it's not, the discrepancy is not the same. It's not the same. There, there's so much to applaud in this. I hardly know where to begin. Okay. Um, yeah, we all need pack skills, you know, yeah, it's, you know, riding in a group, there's just no substitute for it. It is a wonderful thing. But when you think about all the negatives that can come with showing up to a bike race, okay, (laughs) there's, there's driving for a couple of hours, most likely there's paying for your motel room. Cause most of us do the cheap thing, go to motels, not hotels or, you know, some fancy Airbnb, you know. There's the fact that, you know, yeah, you're not going to crash unless you fall off your trainer. (laughs) Um, You know, so, yeah, you don't risk injury that way and screwing up your whole season. Um, There's the fact that, you know, for those for those who want to race, a lot of times what they really are most interested in finding out is a matter of, you know, pure power, pure aerobic fitness. And if that's really your thing. This is quite the crucible. Oh, totally. It's not an experience I per- I personally want. Um, you know, I I want the most interesting, most fun course I can encounter. Right. You know, without with as little risk of somebody else taking me down as possible. Right. Um, this is I don't want to say the opposite, but it's very different. But you know, yeah, for somebody who's interested in in the question of their own personal fitness mm-hmm. and testing themselves. Who wants to race in a thousand strong field? Who really wants to race in a field <laughs> that big? You know, I've raced a 200 man field and thought I was going to die for however many hours we were out there. Three and a half, you know, you can't knock um, each other down in Watopia. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there, there's just a, an incredibly long list of reasons to celebrate this. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And yes, it's a little brave new world. Um, but anything that's going to treat women well, and holy hell, won't this be a great lesson for the UCI? Those bastards, you know, teach them, oh, look what happens when you treat women with respect, you know, give them a real prize purse. Think about the chance that in 15 years, this may actually affect some change at the UCI. It's not going to happen next year. Uh, Great point. That had not even crossed my mind. um, And and the funniest part of all is by giving bigger, you know, as as Hunter brought up uh, in the interview, by giving bigger prize money um, in their series than you can get um, doing races that otherwise carry incredible amounts of prestige, you know, yeah, for a woman who's trying to actually make it as a pro and survive, you know, pay rent, eat, mm-hmm. um, the CVR is actually a, a pretty intelligent thing to pursue. And so it could, in its own way, end up being the truest measure of of women's fitness in racing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who does it. She's got two young children and she does it with her kids in the house. They're in the same room sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's crazy. It's it's not, you know, I mean, people, the people, and I get it, you know, it's not bike handling, it's not technique, it's not tactics, it's, 
You know, well, there are, you know, it's a little tiny bit tactical, but let's be real. I mean, not super tactical, but um, yeah, yeah, it is a different thing. It's a different kind of racing, but I think it's not illegitimate. I guess that's where I'm coming down on it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's totally legitimate. You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's one of those classic things where people are going to get out of it what they put into it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to it with an open or open heart and a desire to test your fitness, well, you're going to find out, you know. Yes, you are. So that's my poll. And I'm just I'm really interested. I, he wants me to do one of these things so bad. And um, I'm actually sort of trying to make it happen because I'm so curious as to what it's all about. Oh, it needs to happen. Yeah. It definitely <laughs> needs to happen. You know, yeah. Uh, given all the different disciplines in which you've raced, this this needs to be added to your your suite of experiences, and we need to hear about it afterward. You, you've, just, you've just convinced me. All right, moving on. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, pace line picks. Uh, what do you have for us this time? I have a qualified pick, if you will, because I, I usually like to give <laughs> I usually like to give my picks, you know, a lot of test run, a lot of thought. But this one is a little bit more of a spontaneous off the cuff because I'm so intrigued by this product pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it from Neil Shirley, who is you probably know he's a super yep. strong rider and, and very solid guy. Right. And he sent yeah. me this product called Topical Edge. And yep. I, I had heard of it, but I, I had no idea really what it was. So Topical Edge is a sports cream that you put on before you're going to go out and do a hard effort. And um, it's formulated to deliver sodium bicarbonate, which people might remember is a classic mus- muscle buffer. People used to take it in like pill form, you know, but it causes mm-hmm. terrible stomach upset. So you don't want to do that. Um, but it's a classic mus- mu- muscle buffer that is meant to allow you to push harder, you know, into an, a higher elevated lactate place and without getting yep. the acidosis that shuts you down. And this is supposed to do it transdermally. And there's a lot of skepticism around that. I've been very skeptical about transdermal products, but, you know, they, they have a lot of papers. I need to go through them. Anyway, I put this stuff on just with no expectation. I was just like, all right, Neil gave it to me. I'm going to put it on. I'll go out for a ride. I almost forgot it was on. Um... And I was going up like a lung busting leg searing climb that I do a lot on my rides. And it's funny because I reached a point, I looked down at my heart rate and it was, you know, well into threshold. I'm huffing and puffing and I almost Pavlovianly expected to slow down or for my legs to start piping up, you know, the, the, the same place they always do. And it didn't, yep. it didn't happen. Like, and I was like, <laughs> okay, is this, is this, I know the placebo effect is real, but it was almost the reverse of, like, it was such a strange thing. And it, and then I did it, I, I rode again yesterday and I used it on another climb and I had the same experience. So I, I, I need to dig in further. I need to test this product more, but I'm, I'm as intrigued about this as I have been about a sports product for quite a while. So I'm going to really yeah. dig in. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. Uh, I actually featured one of the people from Topical Edge on the show more than a year ago. Oh, I must have missed that. Um, Who was that? uh, Jeff Byers, who kind of heads up the division. uh, Or actually, I think they're busy spinning spinning it off into a separate company. You know, yeah, there's been a lot of suspicion around uh, the transdermal uh, part of this. Um, They've just finished a study uh, that's you know, going to be, uh, is peer reviewed. It's mm-hmm. going to be published. Um, 
It's pretty intriguing. The big thing is, you know, this didn't come about as as like, oh, let's figure out how to reduce lactic acid in athletes. Uh, this was uh, a CEO who had a patented molecule oh. that he was using to help deliver um, uh, chemotherapy drugs to cancer patients. So interesting. And, and he also happened to be a triathlete. And so he <laughs> took some of the goop and took it home one day and mixed it up with sodium bicarbonate. It's like, I wonder if this will help me at my next triathlon. Wow. I love that. Started in his kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a number of readers when I, when I wrote something about it on RKP, I had a number of readers just basically say, nope, snake oil. Right. And so right. I can't wait until you dig into the paper. That's I so want to dig into it as well. Yeah. You'll understand it better than I will, but I can't wait to have a chance to report back on what the paper said, because from what I understand from Neil, the results were super encouraging. It is. So, it's very interesting. And anyone who believes that nicotine patches or birth control patches work, it's hard to argue that you can transdermal something, right? Like, yep. it, you can. Um, it's just a matter yeah. of like, I don't know enough about the molecular science of these specific things, and I have to dig a, l a little bit to, to understand that. But it's, it's very intriguing. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty, so mine is a new book out about Greg LeMond's win at the 89 Tour de France. Wow. Uh, it's titled The Comeback, Greg LeMond, the true king of American cycling and a legendary Tour de France. Uh, it was written by Daniel de Vizet. Uh, I haven't finished the book yet, honestly, but what I've read so far, I absolutely love. Uh, de Vizet tells the story in a way that's, you know, really honest and... You know, he shows Le Mans vulnerability and his humanity. And so often these sports books, you know, build this known star yes. up into some, you know, mythic figure. And he doesn't do that, which is what I really love about it. You know, I know that, I mean, you know, if this had been in the hands of some Le Mans fanboy, it would have been substantially different. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't have had the depth or even the command of history that this book does. You know, that the story is so well told is no accident either. DeVizet has worked for the Washington Post and the Miami Herald. Um, he's shared a Pulitzer Prize, okay? That's no small feat. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's, he's obviously an accomplished uh, uh, reporter. Um, the, the book is meticulously researched. The, the notes at the back, I mean... There are a lot of footnotes I plan on digging through. Um, that was one of the gifts of graduate school is rating footnotes. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, it's like it, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, because of Lamont's battle with Trek and Armstrong, I don't, you know, I don't I didn't know that this book was ever going to get written by someone, you know, really <laughs> looking back at the 89 tour. Um and I feared that, you know, even if it did get written, that nobody was going to be interested in, in reading it, you right. know. But now Lamont's primacy Ameri among American cyclists has been restored um, and interest in that win has really returned. Uh, so I got to say, this ought to be on top of everyone's summer reading list. Interesting. Um, and I can also say we're going to have Daniel DeVizet on an upcoming episode of The Pace Line. Oh, cool. Yeah. So... Uh, excited about that. I'm really excited to speak with him. Uh, the book, 
yeah, again, the book is just so enjoyable. Uh, There's so many little points in that history that I remember from having read everything I could get my hands on at the time about it that he gets right. You know, where where the arrow bars came from and, mm-hmm. you know, the iron shots and whatnot. Um you know, the, the import of that second place finish in the final uh, time trial of the Giro just before the tour. Um, yeah, it's it's just so well reported. You know, it's nice to see that, you know, the, the things that I remember feeling were important at the time are things that he's giving weight to. So it, it rings true with my experience of that period of time. Cool. I will definitely pick it up. Cool. All righty. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. Celine, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, it is going into the holiday weekend, right? So, uh, and it's yeah. going to be 98 degrees here. We're having a heat wave on the East Coast. So mm. I am going to uh, ride my bike and then submerge myself in some cold water. I've got family coming into town. And uh, so we'll be swimming and grilling and riding and just, just having a good time. You? Excellent. Uh, I'm just going to ride. I'm, I'm glad to be home. Uh, I think I'm going to keep my rides on the shorter side and try to get my boys out on their bikes. So yeah, looking forward to a relaxing weekend after being away for a few days. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for my other new podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about the craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. Uh, this week's guest is Todd Angermanson of Black Cat Bikes. Uh, he won Best in Show at uh, the 2016 NABs, if I recall correctly. Maybe it was 2015. I still, I've been meaning to look that up. Oops. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a really good interview. He's a really fascinating guy. So check that out. Finally, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, thanks for listening to The Pace Line.